another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. Year four, Nitin, what's good, man? What's up, my dude? Four seasons in. Can you believe it? I, I can't even... I didn't think that this is where we were going to get to when we decided, you know, we were shooting the shit, decided to start a podcast one day, and here we are four years in, still chugging along. It's unbelievable. I don't know where the time went. The first season, we had the pandemic. We didn't know what what to do. All of a sudden, we had this huge gap in content. We were watching old Kings games. I mean, I don't even know, man. It's crazy how far we've come since then. I think, well, I think most impressive at all is that we haven't grown our listenership at all, which is actually pretty impressive to keep a podcast going this long without any discernible improvement. But, you know, that's just the kind of resolve and resiliency we bring to the table. It is, man. Like if we were some, a startup or something that, you know, needed funding, like can you imagine like just showing that stagnant growth for the last couple of years? There's no way investors would not be thrilled. Let's just say we'd be raising more than one down round. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But we got another season on the horizon. One that I would say is about as excited uh, as I've been in a long time uh, for a season. I think every year, at least if you even look at the last few years, you go into the year a little bit bummed because, you know, you know, team X is, is is uh not at full strength and um you know because of an injury whatever etc i think this year for the first time you actually have a situation where everyone right now is healthy right like you know there's going to be guys that go down potentially very key guys that go down but going into last season we knew there was going to be no ben simmons we knew there was going to be no zion williamson no Kawhi leonard no jamal murray no john wall like the whole complement of players was was sort of diminished by who we already knew was missing. The year before that, there was no Kevin Durant. There was no Clay Thompson, right? And so the fact of the matter is, or I, sh- I should say two years ago, but the fact of the matter is this season for the first time, and I don't know what feels like forever, we're fully healthy and ready to go, and the league is as deep as it's ever been. I think we've also lucked out in terms of injuries in the postseason you know usually we have a couple big name stars go down uh, did we right, have any exactly. this, this year i don't know so. i mean the only real injury was chris middleton who it wasn't serious and he's obviously ready to go it, hey it swung a title potentially but you know there's no carryover effects to this year yeah and this is the first time that both conferences at the same time feel absolutely loaded i think last year the west felt a little underwhelming you know with Kawhi out and some other pieces this year, it feels like the West is healthy, the East is healthy. Contenders from both conferences, you don't know who's going to win the ship. It's it's going to be an incredible season, man. I'm, I can feel the excitement already. Well, so just in case we didn't get too far ahead of ourselves uh, in terms of the health and fortune of the league, Anthony Davis sat out tonight due to lower back tightness. So, you know, he's just trying to keep us in check, keep us humble, and make sure we understand that, you know, there's not going to be good without bad at sometimes and so he you know i thank anthony davis for everything he's been able to do to remind us of that over the last few years yeah he needs to set the precedent now that this is you know <laughs> it's not going to be uh all day or what's what's his nickname street clothes day to day it's going to be more day to day davis than uh expecting him yeah. to be there for every game so well you know i think the off season we, last time we talked was mid-july right we were waxing poetic about uh about um, Keegan Murray, you know, breaking down summer league film. All of that is gone. We got Victor Wembanyama that we're setting our sights on now. None of those rookies from last year or this year even matter. It's all about Scoot Henderson and, and Victor. But 
nonetheless, when we talked, if you remember, Kevin Durant had basically just made his trade request uh, official, quote unquote. Um, Rudy Gobert had been traded, I believe. Um, and Donovan Mitchell, you and I both predicted he was not going to start the season in Utah. And that turned out to be the case, right? He got shipped off to Cleveland, which by all accounts seems to be a place that he's happy with. So a lot of different activity. Um, so the, on the player side, we just talked touched on that. And then off the court, you had some pretty crazy bombshell stories break in Boston with Ime Odoka being out uh, after taking to the Celtics to the finals in his first year as head coach. And Robert Sarver, who was banished from the league essentially for a year and has now chosen to sell the team. So very eventful offseason. The NBA never sleeps. It tries to give you 12-month news cycles. And I feel like, once again, this summer didn't disappoint as it related to creating headlines for some good, some bad, and some ugly. No, the NBA always finds a way to stay relevant in the offseason. I think this is one of the summers with the most unrelated to on the court product um, news we've seen. Um, you know, Adam Silver has been busy <laughs> trying to put out fire yeah. after fire, whether it's Robert Sarver, whether it's the Sudoka situation, like you said. Um, and I think, you know, there's just a lot of the league, it, it, you know, he's fortunate that there's so much talent. We're going into the season healthy. Um, next year is already looking interesting because of, of Wemby and Scoot Henderson, like you mentioned. Um, but I think, you know, the league is also in an interesting place because they understand that ratings have not been the same for a couple of years now. There's a reason mm-hmm. we're introducing the in-season tournament this season um, and doing different it, things to it, try to build it's up. It's next year, right? Is it this year? Oh, sorry. Next year. Next year. Yeah. yeah. Um, have, have, it's like we haven't broken down the Wizards in-season tournament chances yet. So. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it. and I think this year, though, is going to be a year of resurgence for the league. I think even a team like New York, you talked about Donovan Mitchell, renewed excitement for a big market like that, renewed excitement for a franchise like LA, who, yes, they've stumbled the last couple of years, but there's optimism that they can be a contender again this year. The small markets, every team has a great storyline, a narrative, player you want to watch, except maybe San Antonio and Utah. Right. I think yeah. those are the only two teams on my list who i have no interest in but even those get exciting in the tankathon so um i think the league is is primed to have a big season and they need it big time well you know i i do want to come back to the concept of of sort of where the league stands reputationally and what adam silver's been up to so you look at this robert sarver situation it's the the details that came out were were pretty damning right and they're pretty ugly and you're sort of looking at it like how did this behavior go unchecked for a long time? And, and in any power dynamic, this ends up happening, right? Where unless someone is willing to take a stand and, you know, put themselves in p- potential professional or personal risk, this stuff gets buried. And I actually feel that a lot of ways, because it was Robert Sarver, someone that was kind of already universally hated in NBA circles, they were quick to, to sort of get him when they could. Whereas when Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks had some instances, not Cuban himself, but the organization had some instances because Cuban's so beloved, it was like a fine and sweep under the rug and we move on. But I just think it's interesting. Like, how do we continue to let this happen? I guess this is always going to be one of the risks of, of any power dynamic. Like we see it in DC with the, with Dan Snyder and the commanders and some of the stories that have come out there. But what are your thoughts on sort of, how the league moves on from this. And frankly, the way they've been able to control the media cycle such that the story was reported, 
it got some criticism. And then the fact once he said he was going to put the sale up, team up for sale, Silver slipped out of any other kind of further damage from, you know, what people perceive to be a light sentence. I mean, I think it's unavoidable. I think this is the ownership structure in professional sports leads to this kind of environment. And you saw with Silver. Silver to everyone has been a guy championing, you know, NBA's major issues uh, or sorry, social justice issues and putting NBA at the forefront of a lot of these movements. At the same time, when it came to China, when it came to real things that impact the bottom line, he didn't take as hard of a stance. When it comes to ownership, who ultimately he works for owners, and that's the same with Goodell and Snyder and any other owner-commissioner relationship, he can't be put in the position of, you know, he, he can, sure, suspend a year, fine, but he can't remove someone like that from power. He doesn't have those capabilities. And I think as long as this dynamic exists where the owners have the commissioner kind of in their pocket, this is always yeah. going to be the case. The We got lucky with Phoenix because of part uh, the partners pulling out, PayPal, all the sponsors. But in a case like Dallas where there isn't such – there wasn't isn't one person to kind of rally against. It wasn't Cuban's fault. There are all kinds of reports about toxicity, but nothing that's going to ultimately impact the bottom line and have sponsors pulling out. It goes or unchecked. anyone famous, right? And or anyone famous, and who knows yeah. if it's actually changed. And then Boston, we have the same issue. Granted, we don't know the details with Udoka, but there are reports that it has to do with, you know, a subordinate type relationship, and you know whether it's consensual or not. So, I don't think this ultimately. It's great that we got Sarver out, but like you said, in some ways, it's a little bit lucky. I think this is something that is going to continue to happen in the league, yeah. and I don't know if there's a way to to curb it unless. The, dyna- the power dynamics change in some way. And I think organizationally, whether that's the NBA, a corporate environment, whatever, there's always some element of this, right? We know this. It's, it would be naive to think otherwise. The only thing you could try to do is create more open communication channels, some confidential communication channels, whatever it is that allows these these things to become uh, to come to the forefront without it jeopardizing anyone's job or whatever you know they might feel. The, the interesting thing, by the way, about Udoka is I am legitimately shocked with the way that the, the news breaking uh, cycle works, that somehow that we have not gotten more details. We've gotten some very kind of like high level cloaked statements that you're not really sure. OK, does this mean this? Does this mean that when we say not consensual, we, that has a lot of definition, all this kind of stuff that like. Words that scare you, but words that right now we don't have any detail behind. I can't believe that this story has now been, what, two, two, three weeks old, and we don't know exactly what happened. It, it blows my mind, frankly. It is in, insane. And it's brought up the worst in, of Twitter. It's brought up yeah, the worst of terrible. social media. We got um, Matt Barnes giving these, like, super cryptic messages that you're just like, okay, well... That sounds bad, but then there's no follow-up, and you're just, like, lost. Yeah, and it's brought up the worst out of reporting and journalism in general, the way Shams and Woj treated about it and trickling out details. And then, like you said, the way guys like Matt Barnes jump at it and do the whole, I know a lot more than you do. Trust me, it's bad, but I'm not going to say what it is. Um, And then, like, the things of people posting pictures of, like, here are the female employees that work for this. It's like, what the fuck, dude? And by the way, a lot of that was wrong, was dead wrong. But it doesn't matter. It's just, like, we're going to post it and get a bunch of likes, and this is cloud chasing. And then, then, like, if if it's wrong, there's no retribution, there's no consequence. I just – the whole thing is, like, 
when it doesn't deal with people's lives, let's say it deal, deals, deals with something far less serious, like, for example, DeAndre Jordan being locked in his house trying to <laughs> sign the contract, you know, like that makes that's like the height of the fun of NBA Twitter. This is the same exact behavior, but it's all used for negative outcomes. Um, and you, you, in a way, you you sort of take that with the you, – you don't willfully do it, but if you're accepting the good with the way that the media works and the way the tweet, tweet storms work, then this is the downside of it. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw the, the absolute worst of it. I mean, um, the fact that some of the staffers' families have to come out and defend them, saying, like, it's ridiculous they're even put in this position, uh, it's bad. But, you know, going back to um, – your point about this, the, the ownership and, and Sarver. I think the, the other troubling thing is that the players, as much as players are empowered in, in this era, we talk about player empowerment all the time. We have yep. all kinds of advocates. This is the kind of stuff that I don't know if it's because they don't want to speak out against their employer. I don't know if it's they don't care, but I think it's something that the players, they must notice some of this, right? Some of this is, is workplace culture that maybe is removed from them. It's front office yeah. stuff. But I, some of this toxicity needs to be brought out, and I get it. You don't want to speak out against a former employer. You get blackballed from the rest of the, the league maybe. But I think it also starts with a, some kind of accountability maybe on the players as well because they have the loudest voices. So, yeah, I was wondering about that because Devin Booker was pretty strongly in the camp of like, this isn't the Robert Sarver I know, like this is totally like ca- catching me off guard, et cetera. And I don't – I'm not saying that I think he's lying, right? I'm sure the way Robert Sarver treats Devin Booker is different than the way he treats random employee X, right? Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that that makes sense. The reality though and something we don't talk about enough is we often put players and owners at odds with one another when their interests and their incentives are extremely aligned. Um, Players are equity partners in the league. I talk about this all the time. Like the good of the league is the good for the players. And so as much as you can quibble over player empowerment and who's playing and load management and all this kind of stuff, which are real issues at the end of the day, the league is only going to survive and only going to be successful if it's successful for both parties. Right. So you have this new TV deal coming up in two, three years, and everyone's talking about how insane it's going to be and how much contracts are going to be elevated and a max slot could be $75 million a year, et cetera. If they want that to be true, their goal is to have as few of stories as, like this as possible and to also have as less, uh, li- you know, as little coverage as possible regarding these kinds of stories in a way. Right. Because you want the fanfare to remain, you want the interest to remain on the court. And so I, you know, I don't know that any player like knowingly covered out anything up or anything like that, but I could see some element of players turning a blind eye to sort of the the world around them. And I could see some element of they're just not exposed to that because their lives are very different and their relationships with everyone are different because they are the stars that make millions and generate this whole product. And to them, it's not their problem either. Um, right. And it, it's no, and like you said, there's no incentive to make it their problem. I get that, but I think for things to change, I think that's one group of of people who can have a voice. And yes, it's at odds maybe with their what they're incentivized to do, but uh, ultimately, I think there needs to be a little bit of accountability somehow from from that group as well. Well, so did you? By the way, this is off topic in terms of current events, but did you watch the Tim Donahue documentary? That, that I actually did stories? not. I just couldn't get myself to because. 
It's just I don't know if it'd make well, me mad if it, and then I don't know what it, to, it honestly trust him. It honestly was produced by Tim Donny. That's essentially what was happening. Like Bill Simmons did a really good pot on this, but when I watched it before I listened to the Simmons pot, I was like, I vaguely remember details about this story, but it feels like the reality was way worse than they're telling us. And they're like, Oh, you know, he only did it one season. Very few 2000. Like the whole thing was like, I don't feel like this is true because the millions of dollars that were moving off of this one guy's opinion, like I'm sure a, he was going to be way more involved financially and B he was doing shit way more than just like, Oh, this player, like, you know, this ref likes to call travels on Iverson. Therefore you should bet against the Sixers. That's essentially what he claimed to be doing versus what is probably the reality, which is actually fixing calls. But anyway, my point is more that like how quickly and how seamlessly the NBA was able to whisk that controversy away and create the illusion, in my opinion, at least, that it was a totally isolated incident. No other refs were involved. Nobody in the league knew. I call total bullshit on that, by the way, because it's just impossible, in my opinion, when you're working in a crew every single game to be making those types of blatant uh non-calls or extra calls or whatever it is and again the league is going to function the way that the the revenue is going to talk right and so in this instance there is a situation where you're just like okay what's best for the league it's certainly to clean it up and have like a high functioning workplace but ultimately it's okay when's the next tv deal coming okay what are the sponsors saying and just the same way you talked about like paypal leaving was one of the dominoes to kind of move Sarver to sell if PayPal or these other sponsors didn't walk away maybe we wouldn't be having that conversation yeah the the officiating is an interesting one because I think that it's impossible for them to only be an isolated incident for only to be one bad agent in this entire process and I think it's one of those things where uh, you know the couple of people who get involved even when you're not trying to do it it becomes a, a bias it becomes just a an implicit bias that you are going to favor the teams that traditionally you've been favoring for the last couple of years last couple of games um and i'd like to to blame that for the reason the kings didn't make the the finals there are plenty of other reasons but you know you're totally right this is a story that kind of made a lot of noise back then and hasn't been talked about since the refs um have not really been critiqued in the same way since that scandal, right? We talk about, we joke about Scott Foster and, and all these other officials, but I don't think we've had an officiating scandal since then. So no, that was certainly a one of one, uh, no question. But all right, the first twenty minutes of this podcast have been super morose. We need to. This is the NBA season kickoff. We gotta, we gotta like jazz it up. Let's talk about some other stuff this offseason. Uh, namely, Kevin Durant was that the worst trade request of all time. Yeah, worst and least successful trade request ever made. When you when you put the ratio of how much influence and the status of a player in the league, and what they were able to actually get out of that request, yeah, it it nothing tops that. Nothing. Tops and then that. the third variable is how much they asked for, not just to be traded, but then or the coach could be fired and the GM could be fired. Everything is back to exactly how it was before he said anything. And so this has been very, very unsuccessful. I think it was absolutely incredible. I mean, I know me and you have been on the Katie's going to end up yes. staying in Brooklyn camp from the yes. beginning. Like we've been talking about this. Never yes. really thought if he was going anywhere. But still, I'm still surprised to see that Brooklyn did not budge through all the requests, through all the asks of getting Nash fired. And look, 
it's easy to fire Nash. Nash is not Greg Popovich. He's not even a Doc Rivers, who may not be the best coach, has been around a long time. And I, I'm proud of Joe Sy and Sean Marks. Now, they've made their bed. Now they have to lay in it with this team and moving forward. But I think it's just good for the league that they did not bow down to Kevin Durant. Uh, and it set a, sent a message that I think more teams hopefully are willing to send. If you can turn down Kevin Durant like that, you know, why can't you do it with other stars? Well, maybe they should have taken his advice on Nash at least because he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. But nonetheless, I agree. I think that it was a very strong and important stance. It, to me, the, the basketball trades, just looking at that standpoint, never made any sense, right? The only one you could talk me into is some package built around Jalen Brown. But even that, Jalen Brown's a nice player. He is not a number one on a uh, championship team. He almost played that role this last year. And, you know, then you could have been like, well, he was the best player in the finals. And if they had won the finals, he probably wins finals MVP. Sure. But over the course of like, I think last year. Okay. I'm just going to say last year was a bit fraudulent. The Warriors (laughs) are a fraudulent champion. But nonetheless. Oh, damn. The reality is like Jalen Brown is a very, very good player. He's never made an all NBA team. He's made one all star team. He's 25 or 26 years old. It's not like he is going to have like this 10-year runway of being amazing. Even if he has an eight-year gap on on Durant, his ceiling is third-team All-NBA, second-team All-NBA, maybe in, a, in, a, in an off year. So I thought that that was the best package, and even that wouldn't have gotten it done for me. When you start throwing out shit like Mikel Bridges and Deion, like those dudes don't matter. Like, you trade for DeAndre Ayton and you trade for Mikael Bridges and you're the Nets and you're like, well, we did have Kevin Durant. Now we have these two role players. But you know what? We got a bunch of picks from a team that's going to compete for titles. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Brooklyn was also in the unique position where the picks were not going to really sway that much unless it was some insane offer because they're built to win now. Um, They're too good to tank. So the, the picks, you know... Something else that really annoyed me, by the way, is when people would discuss the trade and like, well, they need to replenish the picks they lost in the Houston trade to James Harden. It's like, yeah, but they those don't those picks they get back don't they don't get to exchange those from the ones they actually have. So they still have to be good. Like if they suck and they give up like the third pick to Houston and get the 27th pick from Boston, that's not cool. That's bad. (laughs) It's not like they're getting back. I just feel like that was like skated over, over and again. It's very frustrating to listen to that discourse. Yeah. And, and I think ultimately with Brooklyn, you can't build around Kyrie and, and Simmons. Like these guys, they're two players. They're fascinating in my opinion, because the talent as a number two or number three on a championship winning team, you can see it. They can deliver. But the moment they're thrust into a leadership role or the moment they are dependent on, that is a house of cards waiting to fall apart. So you're stuck with these two pieces. You're stuck with a, a poo-poo platter of, of vets and TJ Warren, who who knows if he's ever going to return to the court. Um, and it, it made Brooklyn had a lot of leverage. I think that's what helped them. They had a lot of leverage. Um, they didn't have to budge because there was no other alternate plan this was all they had so, to do. So the interesting thing is like part of this is Durant's new, uh, mentality. And we talked about this and everyone's like, oh, don't be so sure. Just because Durant loves basketball doesn't mean he won't hold out. Durant is a student of the game. At the end of the day, he is thinking about things like I want to be a 35,000 point scorer. 
I want to be, you know, get another all-star, get another all-NBA, compete for a title. I'm 34 years old. Like, he's not going to give up a season at this stage. Like, it's not a money thing. We know that. He's got more money than he knows how to do it. Like, aside from LeBron and Steph, he's probably the highest, like, total on and off court earner uh, since Jordan, right? Like, he has literally, like, every accolade you could want, but a lot of it is discounted. Like, for him, it's... It isn't a James Harden situation. This isn't a Ben Simmons situation. Both guys were willing to not play or to play poorly to get what they wanted. That's not how Durant's wired. He's in a different class of of superstar and different level of, of in history. And I think that also factored in as well. Um, all, all those things. Plus, he just missed an entire year not too long ago. Yeah. And it killed him. Like, right. like you said, he's a hooper and he already went through that. And to go through that again in your mid thirties when you're still playing at an elite level, it's not worth it. And so the writing was always on the wall. We talked about this. It's always always on the wall that he'll end up coming back. He's not going to sit out. He's not going to take this into the season. It's going to get resolved in the off season, whether he stays or whether he gets traded. And you know what? It's also better. I think it's better for the league. He stays just from a basketball standpoint. The good thing about the nets is on paper, they look unstoppable. But what we've seen the last two years is that they can still be a deeply flawed team, even with a healthy Kyrie, even with a healthy oh Durant. God, yeah. And Simmons, as much as talented as he is, we know his flaws very well at this point. So we have another contender, a team that's exciting to watch, but not one that's going to steamroll the league, which at one point we thought Durant, Kyrie, and Harden might be that. Well, I am always overly high on any team that features Kevin Durant, right? From a basketball standpoint, I've been pretty clear that he's my favorite player ever to watch. Until his antics started getting past a point of reason, he was my favorite player to root for just because I loved his game. I loved everything about him. You watch this Nets team. So all that to be said, I'm higher on the Nets than I should be. I'm going to be do something stupid in over-unders, I'm sure, in terms of like just my trust in what they're going to do. You watch them. And they are so talented and so flawed at the same time. It's really like I was watching, uh, it was, of course, preseason, but I was watching them, uh, their opening game versus Philly, who had basically played Maxi and all their backups. And they couldn't stop anyone. Uh, they were giving up a ton of threes. They looked generally kind of like confused on offense. And we got Ben Simmons, who hasn't played 18 months takes one fadeaway jumper, turnaround jumper, hits nothing but backboard. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this motherfucker. Like, are you serious? Yeah, I'm not asking him to turn into Steph Curry, but my God. (laughs) And, you know, Durant will be fine. Kyrie will be fine statistically. But on a night-to-night basis, you can push this team over. You can truck stick them and out energy them outsize them and as much as i think that they're gonna be good like i think that (laughs) this is gonna sound so dumb but from that one preseason game i think i'd pick like four other teams to win the east because you really react in a preseason i honestly was just like what is like i saw that turnaround jumper and i just like my whole heart sank and everything was bad yeah i mean uh, that team is there any team that's easier to get into the heads of the the superstars than it is Brooklyn like Simmons has already talked about I mean not to make light of his mental health issues which it seems like you know he had a lot of them he's opened up about them 
But in terms of his mental fragility on the court, that's going to be exploited. Kyrie is off his rocker. And then Kevin Durant, same thing. So I, it's, it is the biggest, it's the one contender with the most margin for kind of the biggest difference between their optimal outcome, which is title and play in team. I would be stunned if Ben Simmons shot over 50% from the free throw line this year. He looks petrified up there. And that game was at home, by the way. Can you imagine when he's in Boston, when he's in freaking Philadelphia, when he's in the Garden, when he's oh, in Madison Square Garden in the Knicks? There's no way. When he's in L.A., like, the every town is going to be a disaster. Like, Toronto with those crazy fans. Washington, nobody will be there. I'll be like, how do I shoot in this open gym? <laughs> it's going to be a bloodbath, man. And Durant is going to at some point be like, this is why I didn't want to put up with this shit. I'm out again. You know, maybe that is until next summer, but it's a it's a t- it's ticking a powder, time bomb. Powder keg waiting to blow up. So it leads to the question, right? What do you think is the more likely outcome next year? A championship? Or but by the end of the season, they're blowing it all up? I think I think it has to be that is so hard because Full health. Maybe there's one more roster addition to be made to get some size. I can see it working. But there's no way I can count on Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. Like, it has to be blown up as the realistic option. What do you think? It's a hard question. I'm actually going to say championship. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, you have Kevin Durant. That's a pretty good starting point. Here's why. Here's why. So, I I think it's a high likelihood that it could blow up as well. But... They have a scapegoat now. If Kyrie and Durant lose early, Simmons can be that scapegoat. Before, they had no one to point to but themselves. I think now there's a scapegoat. They can convince themselves to run it back another year. But at the same time, Kyrie, who knows, right? What's his mindset? Like I, I think KD would be in it another year, despite all that happened over the offseason. To me, Kyrie is the biggest question. Mark. And he's a free agent, and the Lakers are going to have max cap space. So, exactly. so the the issue for the Nets is if Kyrie walks for nothing, and you're left with KD Simmons and this like hodgepodge group of role players. But a lot of people are like, okay, well the Nets are a disaster. I get it. But if you look at the team from last season that got swept by in round one by the Celtics, by the way, the closest sweep in NBA history for what it's worth in terms of margin of uh, victory. Um, they add Ben Simmons, a multi-positional defensive freak which is one of the main things that plagued them when they couldn't guard Tatum or uh, Brown. You add a another guy who's like almost a light version of that defensively, Royce O'Neal. You add whatever TJ Warren is on off the bench scoring. And you had a set, healthy Seth Curry who was dealing with ankle problems so much that he had surgery in the offseason and still is actually getting healthy. But you had a presumably healthy Steph Cur- Seth Curry. And then you add Joe Harris, who is leading the league in three-point percentage gives you more size, gives you more positional versatility on the wing. And Kyrie Irving, whose conditioning should be back to normal, he's going to be playing, you know, frequently. He might not play every night, but, you know, he logs 60 games. He's feeling better by playoff time. That's a pretty big change to what they brought out in that Boston series. Now, they did lose Bruce Brown, who's important. But other than that, like, I look at it like 
that's a lot of addition that were some of the biggest issues you faced as a team last year, specifically defensively on the wing. Now they're way too small. We know that they're going to have to address that somehow because Claxton and Sharp are not good enough. But I, I just think they are a shit show and it's going to be a circus all year. There's a version of this that works out and everyone looks at it like an idiot. Oh yeah. Because even defensively as um, deficient as they are, you've got Kevin Durant and Simmons who are pseudo bigs. They're not Mm -hmm. rim protecting bigs, but there's length defensive length that you can rely on. And you talk about Bruce Brown being gone. Well, Simmons theoretically should be able to play that role of easy buckets, be able to dish it out, kind of, you know, play that secondary ball handler role. Um, So it could work, man. It could, the pieces are all there. It's just that you have this concoction of personalities that is a powder keg. Like it's, it's unpredictable. Like, but yeah, no, I think I, I mean, I can't wait. It's going to be appointment viewing uh, just like 10, 15 other teams are this year with the level of talent that exists. Um, let's go to the other big uh, trade that happened after uh, we last recorded. So that was Donovan Mitchell going to Cleveland for three first Sexton marketing, et cetera. Um, so Utah officially has kind of blown it up. They are going straight for Wembenyama as fast as they can get there. Uh, meanwhile, Cleveland has now added a fourth uh, sort of star under the age of 26, or he just turned 26. You know, three of these guys made the All-Star team last year, and the fourth is Evan Mobley, who a lot of people feel like could be the best of the group. Um, what do you think of the trade, the package? And honestly, if you think about the three big trades that happened this summer with Gobert, Mitchell, and Murray, how do you stack them up against one another in terms of the team that traded for the star who made out the best? To me, by far, it's Cleveland at mm. top. Then Rudy Gobert into Minnesota. Then DeJounte Murray. Now, what I like about Cleveland's move is at a certain point, Cleveland's too good now to rely on getting more picks, more youth. And you're never going to trade. You're never going to be able to trade for a, a 1A type star. It just doesn't happen in the NBA unless you give up young assets, unless you're giving up a package that includes Mobley. That includes Garland. And the fact that they kept their young core, added a star, maybe not a superstar, a star, multiple all-star games, shown the ability to be a microwave and solve some of the offensive issues we saw Cleveland face, especially in the postseason. And a player who fits kind of seamlessly with the rest of what they're doing. I don't care if it's three first-round picks or four first-round picks. I think that's the exact kind of move a team like Cleveland should make. Now, does it put them in the top two, top three of the East? No. But does it keep them on a trajectory towards becoming that team? Yes, because Donovan Mitchell still fits within a reasonable timeline. So to me, in terms of didn't have to give up core players, got a player who's going to contribute right away and has you still on the same path, an accelerated path that you were on, I I love it. I love the deal. I'm really excited to watch them. How about you? I agree. I liked this trade a ton for Cleveland. I just thought that, okay, the picks, let's come back to the picks in a second. I just thought what you gave up is not going to necessarily factor into too much into your rotation this coming season. Like you didn't already, you already did not have Sexton last year for most of the year. Marketing at the three was a weird, almost comical fit. 
that's replaceable. And then Ochai Agbaji from Kansas, I think he's going to be solid. He's also four-year senior. He's a mid-lottery pick. Like, that's not necessarily someone who's going to project to be a star. And I just think that the same issues that people are going to bring up as far as a small, bad defensive backcourt were issues last year that got cleaned up because of how good Allen and Mobley are. So their big issue was shot creation, right? Garland was the only guy who could create. He clearly was not going to be able to do that on his own. You saw that in the play-in games. He just was getting shut down and nobody else could really make a play. Now you have another dude who, oh, by the way, is like averaging over 30 points a game in his last three or four playoffs. And you have another pick-and-roll partner for your bigs and another guy who can go get a shot. I think it's a home run trade for Cleveland. I think they made a very similar bet. And like, look, the Gobert trade was an overpay, right? I still think Minnesota, I love Minnesota this year. I think I have them finishing top three or four in the West. I think they're going to be flat out incredible in the regular season. I really believe it. Same reason, and I know that that's probably not consensus for me to have said that, but the same reason or the same bet both teams are making is that they already have a superstar that keeps their floor really, really high and accelerates their ceiling beyond what this particular player they traded for might have been worth. And what I mean by that is Anthony Edwards and Evan Mobley, right? In both instances, if those guys can be top 10 players in the league, sure, you've overpaid a little bit for Mitchell. Sure, you overpaid more than a little for Gobert, but your team's going to be sick because you have a tier one superstar. Um, A lot of this depends on how you feel about those two players. Like, I certainly think Edwards is on his way there. Uh, I don't think he gets to all NBA status this year, but if he doesn't make an all-star team, I think that's a disappointment. Um, You know, Mobley's only in year two, but I think you just look defensively, and even some of the raw offensive game that was starting to come along, he's got so much potential it's limitless and so Atlanta has Trey but I think Trey is the and I, I love Trey but he's the worst kind of prototype player to build around in the setting because small poor defense point guard doesn't necessarily guarantee you wins wins the same way like a generational big or a generational wing would um so that's kind of where I stand uh, and I also think DeJounte Murray is the worst of those three players uh, so that also compounds factors. I, I like the move for Atlanta because it's like, what else are they going to do? Um, I thought that was a good ad, the right type of ad next to Trey, but I just don't think it'll elevate them the way it might for Cleveland or for Minnesota. Totally agree. And, and Minnesota, I think, is going to be much better. The difference being the age of Gobert, a slightly more expensive package. Um, so to me, I think Cleveland did it the best. And with this, all this talk about picks, right? Ultimately, these picks, I mean, we all know these teams are young. They're going to be contending. And the fear is always that what if things go wrong and your pick ends up being top five, top 10, and it's unprotected. Yeah, you it's, it up. it's the Boston-Brooklyn situation. It's the Boston-Brooklyn right? situation. But here's the thing. Like, if it goes wrong, like, for let's say Cleveland, things go absolutely wrong. That means more things had to have gone wrong than just the Donovan Mitchell fit. That means Garland sucks. Mobley sucks. At that point, that's something you can't foresee. Like That just means everything, your whole foundation is messed up. And I think that you have to take a bet that that's not going to happen. Like You have pieces that have shown enough promise, shown enough potential. You're bringing in a piece that's not going to disrupt what they're already doing. To me, that's why giving up these picks is never that big of a gamble. And even with Minnesota, as much as I don't like uh, the, how many picks they gave up, it's, it's still defensible in the sense that you expect their run with Anthony Edwards 
and Towns to at least be four or five years. So you're protected yeah. from the, the downfall of those picks, at least. When when you think about Utah, what they got back for Gobert versus what they got back for Mitchell, for Bogdanovich, and for Beverly, you know, Beverly and Bogdanovich didn't get picks back in either instance, which I thought was kind of shocking. And Mitchell got a lower price than Gobert, and he's younger, and you could argue probably the better player of the two, right? Mitchell is better than Gobert, I think, is some people would disagree. But, you know, generally speaking, I think there's consensus there. Minnesota must have must be kind of kicking themselves right now when they saw what Ainge would settle for for these other guys because clearly the market that they created for Gobert was not where his perceived value was in Ainge's mind. Um, and he took that shit straight to the bank. He's like, yeah, four firsts plus another recent first-round pick, let's go. Plus a couple of key veterans, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was highway robbery in the grand scheme. We'll see if it converts, like you said, but just looking at where he set the mark or set the price for these other guys, it was much less, I thought, comparatively. Absolutely. And the only one downside I'll say to a lot of these picks, I mean, he came out with a great haul. I just think, you know, we see this with OKC, where they have a ton of picks. Now, in the NFL, picks are currency in the sense that you can package number 15 and number 10 to move to number four or five, right? Yeah. There's even that whole trade value chart. It's very easy to package up picks and move up. In the NBA, no one is giving up a top five pick for a poo-poo platters of like 15, 17, 18. So the like. The only thing about this whole pick accumulation strategy is you're when you have a bunch of those picks in the middle, yes, they're still good because you can hit on one of those players, they'll turn into stars, but you can't package them up and get a top-tier asset like you could in the NFL. And so that's me, like I think the picks are overrated in some ways. Totally. It's shots at a dartboard, and like the Thunder have like 16 first round picks over the next five years or something, next seven, six years, something crazy. They can't take 16 rookies on their team and then and like like that's insane. But how do they give those picks up to your point? And like like when you see trades, like when you trade like the number 16 pick, what kind of player does that get you? I don't know. Thaddeus Young is the first name that comes to my mind. Like you get a role player. You're not getting someone who's Yeah. Gonna I mean, change the, back to the, the NFL is about depth and the NFL NBA is about stars, right? That's what it comes down to. And that's why, to your point, that's how these trades work. And yeah, you could get a star at 16. Kawhi Leonard and Giannis both went in the teens, right? Like, that's possible. Just the odds are so low. I mean, I guess that's OKC's point. We know the odds are low. Let us load up as many chances as we have, right, to, to, try, to, to try to find that star. And, for example, this year they got that guy Jalen Williams, um, which is using one of the picks they got from the Clippers in the Paul George trade. If he turns out to be a stud maybe we come back and look at that trade a little differently. But right now, nothing OKC has done, nothing um, you know, New Orleans has done, nothing uh, all these t- Houston has done, who all have these picks, has made them bad deals yet. We still need to see it play out to know whether we feel... Because like, the revolution of pick trading is somewhat new, so a lot of these picks haven't turned converted or turned into like established players at this point. Yeah, and, and you know... The, the good thing for them, too, is when you have that many picks, you can go for high-ceiling prospects. You can take chances on guys who, if you only had one pick in a draft, 
you kind of want someone who can contribute right away, who has a decent floor. Okay, see, they could literally be shooting for the moon on every single pick. You hit one, that's all you need, right? So I, I totally agree. It's just funny that um, I think we're, we've shifted too far in the other direction in terms of how valuable first-round picks are that I, as a team like Minnesota, a team like Cleveland, how else are you going to get these guys? You have to point Yeah, out. you're not. You're not. You either, I mean, some of it becomes like an NBA Ponzi scheme, right? Where you just keep trading them for, like the Knicks traded this pick for three other picks, right? So you're just like, okay, I guess, yeah, that was a good deal. You have no idea when those picks are going to convert. You have no clue what's going on. You're just like, yeah, we got more picks in the future. And then you just keep trading those picks. Like OKC has been doing that. Um, and then when they, the one time they tried to pony up, right, last year, when they got kind of shafted in the draft order and got sick, they were like willing to do whatever they could to get up to uh, top two, top three. Everyone's like, you know, F off. We're not trading Jalen Green. We're not trading Evan Mobley, right? We're not trading Cade Cunningham. Um, and so that's what's going to happen because think about it. Like, you know, we we're talking about Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson. There's a couple other names, I think, that round out the top four, but those are clearly the top two. Imagine what you would need to be offered to move off of the lottery ticket of Victor Wembanyama. Like the shit he does does not look like a real human being is doing it, right? Almost all of it looks fake. It looks like you're watching 2K, you're doing something. Like everyone's making those same comps, but that's really what it feels like watching him. Like he hit seven threes last night and had five blocks. That's, That's literally never been done in NBA history if he had done that in an NBA game. So what would you have to be traded? Okay, because he could offer you 50 first-round picks. You're just not going to do it. You'd so. never do it. Yeah, so and yeah. I'm glad you, you started talking about Wemby over here. Because I can't keep saying Wemby Yama, man. It's so hard. It's like it gets me tongue-tied. Yeah, yeah Wemby's we, fine. Wemby, Vic, we need to come yeah. up with an, another name for Wemby. Wemby Yama. Let's talk about him, right? Because uh, now there's a lot of hype. I've never seen... I think Twitter, NBA Twitter, has just been waiting to talk about someone. It's been a dormant offseason outside of the off-court stuff. I have not seen this type of... Now, he was fantastic, but borderline overreaction to a pre... (laughs) Not even a preseason game, to a exhibition game, right? Um, And I understand the hype, the two, both Scoot Henderson, both Wamanyama, but... Would you say he is the most hyped prospect since LeBron, or do you think Zion still held that that mantle? Because I think it's really between him and Zion as being the most hyped since LeBron, and no one else comes close. The one guy I might throw in there is Anthony Davis. No, Anthony Davis, who didn't start this way at Kentucky, but by the midseason was starting to get like a holy shit, this guy is in, un, insane. I think Wembenyama is the most since LeBron. Because Zion was this, like, it was almost like you were watching, like, a Marvel movie. You know (laughs) what I mean? And you were like, this is just incredible to watch. I'm not too worried about what the plot is. It doesn't really matter, like, how well the story is written. And that's kind of how you felt. You're like, Zion's doing some crazy shit night after night. I don't really know much about his overall game and his fit in the NBA. And, like, is he a championship content that you know can you build a championship contender around him it was just like this dude is blocking everyone's shot and he's doing like crazy 360 windmills you know and that was the experience with zion i mean he obviously is the number one pick he's a great player but i just didn't feel like the way we used to even interact uh with zion's highlights in high school and all that was 
was about anything other than just his being like the biggest badass ever. With Wemby, it feels very much like, and I'm starting to get the hang of that nickname now, but it feels very much like a basketball driven obsession. Like this dude is seven four, seven three, whatever he is. He literally handles the ball like he's Kevin Durant, but he's five inches taller. Uh, he moves more fluid than I think even Chet moves, uh, just in terms of like his lateral quickness, all that kind of stuff. And he seems like he's got a little bit of that dog in him. And so just from a basketball standpoint, you're like, holy shit. And so I think it's I think it's LeBron and then Wembenyama is like the two most hyped prospects of the 2000s, which is kind of crazy to say. I agree because he is probably the most unassailable prospect. Uh, and what I mean by that is Zion had no shot. Zion was a force. He was a menace. He was not a shooter. Mm-hmm. There was questions about can he use that size against NBA size. LeBron, you know, as good as he was, as hyped as he was, there were questions around the shot. There were questions around, you know, some of his. That's pretty much all there was. Everything else was amazing. Wemby, he checks off every box, like you said. It's the size, the shooting, the fluidity, the defense, um, and everything at an elite level. Like he didn't just shoot well from three last night. He shot seven for eleven. He didn't just block two or three shots. He blocked five shots, um, putting up points. And he's not skinny, by the way. And he's not skinny. And and look, the skinny thing is, is overrated because what Giannis is like a Greek god right now. How did he look coming into the league? Embiid, yeah. also huge. How did he look coming into the league? All these guys looked skinny coming into the league. There was no guy, even Shaq, right? Like people forget that when they, there's no player who enters the league yoked. That being said, now, Dwight, Dwight Howard. Here comes the butt. Here comes the big butt. Nothing is going to dissuade anyone from taking him number one. Not even the Sacramento Kings wouldn't make that mistake. There are. He has had injury. Are you sure? Yeah. He has had some injury issues, and no matter how good you are, when you're seven three, seven four, what's his official height? I think seven four. Let's go with that for now. The it's not going to change how you, where you take him or anything, but it always lingers that that body, that body type, we still have not seen be completely injury free. Yeah, that's the well, only concern, but it's still not even that big of a concern because of everything else he offers. It is a bummer because we just talked about this with Chet and how his he moves way better than someone at his size. And what happens? He gets a list Frank injuries out for the year. And it's like, oh, shit, this is the same reason why this matters. I do think we probably hype up these kind of foot injuries for big men more than we would for for wings or guards like TJ Warren missed all of last season with a foot injury. But we didn't talk about it in this like like, you know, bated breath kind of way of like oh my god this is happening to another big guy i you know but but yeah like he's got to be able to prove he's healthy i mean this is the same issue and it's going to continue being an issue all i know is i look at him he's like he looks like yao ming physically and then he moves (laughs) like he's freaking i don't know carmelo anthony or something it's wild um and it, it you know Maybe, and so this feels like the evolutionary Porzingis. Like, this is what Porzingis pre-ACL was kind of talked about like in New York. Yeah. He's like, he can block shots, he can make threes, he can move around. Porzingis didn't develop his game probably as much as you would have liked, but, but Wemby's way more talented coming into the league. 
than Porzingis was. Oh, dude, um, I thought of Porzingis too. Like he's the best comp. I know that sounds ridiculous because Wemby's way better of a player, but the best comp for him is definitely Porzingis because he had the shooting, the defense, yeah. everything, the fluidity from a from a seven three. And once he tore the ACL, he lost all his mobility, and that was a huge reason why he went from being a great rim protector to now he's like almost a negative on D. So. You just have to hope and pray you take this guy number one that he's not going to run into those types of issues. Yeah, and you you can't you're not going to make a decision based on that. I'm just saying that it's it's unfortunate we even have to think about that. And there's reason to think about that because it's right. It's not just the fact that maybe maybe you're right. Maybe they're not more prone to get an injury than any other player. But like you said with the ACL, when a big man gets an ACL injury like that, it affects them way more than a guard or a forward who doesn't have the same rim protection duties. Who same know, weight, same weight that the they're putting weight. on the leg, right? Like so, it, it does make a difference when a big man gets injured. That's why I'm really bummed that Victor didn't play in in a EuroBasket. Um, I'm not sure why he didn't, if he was hurt or or something, but it would have been really fun to see him because there was a good amount of NBA talent in that tournament, and France, obviously being one of the favorites, was going to play like pretty deep into the tournament, especially with him. They probably would have won the whole damn thing. Oh yeah. For sure. Um, um, but yeah, so that that's interesting. And like, I, I would say, like, if you think about who's actually tanking, quote unquote, this year. OKC, maybe. Right. We don't know. Like, it depends when they decide Shea has like in treat untreatable plantar fasciitis and can no longer play. <laughs> uh, we know San Antonio is. We know Indiana is. I would say uh, Utah obviously is, and then Houston. I think those five teams are probably going to be the five worst, and then I would throw in some version of Orlando will be fun but bad, and shit, dude, Charlotte might be down there because, I mean, the Miles Bridges thing was reprehensible in all forms and fashions. Don't need to obviously relitigate or talk about that, but from a basketball standpoint, that's they were expecting to max him out this summer. And now he's gone, may never play in the league again. They have nobody. Have you looked at Charlotte's team it's, outside of LaMelo? It's devoid of like I was Human thinking that I was like, I don't I don't remember what Charlotte really did this offseason. Then I looked at the roster and I was like, clearly I, I don't think no. did they do anything? No. Do they still is Gordon Hayward still alive? <laughs> was he a media day? Or is he already hurt? Like, I don't know who their starting lineup is. Um, but nonetheless, who else do you think is really in contention? Or of those teams, who do you think you really expect to be the worst team or the worst couple teams in the league? No, so all those teams we know are going to be in the play. But here's what's going to happen, right? This and this happens every year. One of these teams is going to have a significant injury to their star player. Now, it's not going to be the Warriors. But let's say Steph got injured and then they shut clay down right like we've seen that happen with the warriors the same kind of thing could happen with a bunch of these other teams philadelphia too good to you know even Embiid injury is not going to tank them um same thing with a team like the clippers they're too good their floor is too high but those are like my finals teams what are you talking yeah, about no I'm, but I'm, talking, I'm, t- I'm trying to create a scenario in which a top team a playoff team anticipated playoff team 
has an injury and falls into the sweepstakes and lucks into Vic. Because I the thing people well, they'll keep, give it to LeBron, right? The thing people keep forgetting is that the playoff odds are 14% for first, second, and third. You yeah. have a better uh, odds of landing Wemunyama from three to or from four to fourteen than you do from one to three. Like the the uh, total of four through fourteen teams have a better chance than the teams one through three. Now I understand you have to tank, give yourself the best shot, right? So yeah. it's a race to the bottom regardless. But I don't think that one of these teams is going to get rewarded. I, I don't think the San Antonio. I think it's going to fall to a team, maybe the Wizards. Borderline play in, miss out, get a lottery pick. Um, and that'll be fascinating. And, and that's why I'm trying to see is there a team that is pretty good, one injury, they fall down to the 12th to 13th spot, and then win the sweepstakes. And I, I have I, the I way guess. the NBA has gone for the last several years, I feel like that's what's going to happen. It's not going to go to the worst team. Yeah, I think one option could be Chicago. Right, you already have Lamelo out. I'm uh, sorry, Lonzo. They already out. did it with Derrick Rose. They were the ninth. They, yeah, they did it with Derrick Rose. They have Lonzo out. The East has become increasingly uh, difficult. So even if they have full health, they might not even be. They, they might be a playing team, which is where I have them projected. So you have Chicago. Maybe DeRozan goes down. Then they shut Levine down with a month ago. Now remember, this is where it gets really crazy. They owe Orlando their pick in the Vucevic trade. 2021 was Franz Wagner. 2023 is is to convert, but I believe it is top three or top four protected. So if they get into that nine, eight, nine pick range and there's no way to go up, uh, there's no chance of playoffs, they're going to be looking really long and hard at a quick tank and rebuild, yeah. drafting oh, one of those top two, three guys. That's a very good point. So I, I also have the, to look at that, like what teams have top three protected picks, you know, otherwise they convey that changes incentives as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so that would be one. And then the West, I think the Lakers have to be included just because, uh, you know, they're such a, you know, you talked about high variance teams. They got to be up there. I mean, though a lot of people would say their ceiling is not very high. Um, I think Portland, right? Like Portland is trying to compete. And Dame is their only quote-unquote star. We already saw him get injured last year. All they could do is pick seventh, despite their best, best attempts to lose games. You know, maybe they're a team that jumps up and suddenly you pair Dame, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, and one of these other dudes. You know, I say this half-jokingly, but the team that's the least likely to to get that pick, it's not. I'm not even going to say it's the Warriors or the Sixers or Celtics. I still think it's actually the Kings. Because even if they lose Fox <laughs> and Sabonis, too to, loaded. even too if they loaded. lose Fox and Sabonis to injury, they're going to be playing Harrison Barnes forty-eight minutes, just trying to gun for that play and <laughs> seed at all costs. That uh, there's no chance they get it. That's how I feel about the Wizards. Like they're going to go into the luxury tax to add like freaking Grayson Allen to really give them a <laughs> push for number nine. So, yeah. uh, on that note, let me ask you this: How many teams? If, if you had to start listing teams, you would be completely and utterly non unsurprised if they won the title. How deep does your list get? Eight. Eight teams. Let's hear it. So I've got Golden State. Okay. Yeah, I agree. 
I've got the Clippers, who are my favorite, yes. and I think your favorite too. I think we both. They're my favorite team. It. I'm moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> About time we came to the West Coast. Um, I've got the Denver Nuggets. I can see a path. I would be um, a little surprised, even though they're insanely talented and loaded. I would be okay. A well, little if you surprised. mean like not surprised at all, or like to, then of course it's less, but like reasonably i'd be like yeah i could see a path that it can happen okay fine you know what the issue with denver is and you know how much i love Jokic. their three best players are all average or minus defenders and in the case of michael porter jr minus minus so that scares me when it comes to playoff time but nonetheless i love sure. denver you know i love Jokic, but um that would be the one thing where i look at these other teams and defensively can they get there to a championship-level defense? And, and that's something that, even though everyone talks about defense wins championships, that's something that's really been true the last several years in the NBA. It, the teams with not a top-10 defense. They never get there. They never get there. Every team yeah. has been good at defense. Uh, okay, so those that's what, three right there? That's um, three. Milwaukee. So you don't have any more in the West? I might. I'm going to come back to the West because okay. I'm still counting. Boston. Milwaukee, Boston, yep. Uh, Brooklyn. Hey, Brooklyn would surprise you, dude. I if mean, ben Simmons are you kidding put me? Together, no, it would not surprise me. If Ben Simmons put together a championship-worthy season. As a third banana, it could definitely happen. He took 18 months off and then hit the backboard on his only jumper. I can't get that <laughs> image out of my head. Okay, Brooklyn. <laughs> And then uh, the last one's Philly in the, the East. Miami? Now, no, no. I don't uh, okay. I think they're uh, too old. Cleveland. Cleveland? No. Okay. Too early. Now, here's so my A team. Here's my A team that's going to surprise you. I'm still going to put the Los Angeles Lakers. Dude. Listen, you say what would like not surprise you. The Lakers suck. I get it. They have the biggest, like, lowest floor out of all these teams. But LeBron, Anthony Davis, and if they play healthy, if they play up to their capabilities, and it's it's the caveat is there's a move they make at the deadline. They give up those first-round picks, and they're able to get something that really pushes them over the edge. That team can win. They still have LeBron. They still have AD. So that's my eighth team. So you would put... The Lakers over the 64-win Suns. Yes. Who, by the way, look like they all hate now, each other. And expected I, I value sun. out of both those teams, I still say Suns have a higher record. But championship winning, I see a, a, I'd be less surprised if it was the Lakers. I think the Suns are going to have a total dumpster fire of a season. Uh, oh, dude, the writing's on the wall. Like the active, they, they yeah, lost they to look like... Adelaide. They lost to the... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Adelaide, Adelaide 36ers. 36ers. That's Ben Simmons' team next year. Um, honestly, they look like they're ready to brawl on the court at any given moment with each other. Um, I agree. So you have the Lakers. That would be less surprising you to than, than Dallas, who could have the MVP. Yes. I don't see. And I don't see how that as good as Dallas was last year. I don't see them getting through the West and then getting through Philly or Milwaukee or one of these teams. Why is it so hard? This is what always blows my mind. Like, 
Sometimes I'm like, when I look at the Wizards' shitty roster and I look at how loaded every other team is, I'm like, do we all have the same rules like of player acquisition and player spending? Like, is everyone playing on the same like set of conditions, or is there like something that other teams are allowed to do that we're not? And I think about that a lot when I look at Dallas and what they've done around Luca. They took one shot to get a star next to him in Porzingis, and it didn't work, right? And somehow they have not been able to take a second shot. And he's now going into year five. Contrast that with Joel Embiid, who has had Ben Simmons. He's had James, uh, Jimmy Butler. Butler. He's had James Harden now, right? And, like, they're still potentially, like, they were rumored, like, we could go get a Bradley Beal. And they still have the assets probably for Bradley Beal if they wanted. They could go get a Kevin Durant. Like, what is going on? Why is Why is Dallas just totally incapable of putting real star talent around Luca. I think they've mismanaged their roster completely. Um, I also think they overpay for guys who are solid role players and are good at their jobs. The Tim Hardaway got a fat contract, right? Or was it New York and then they traded for him? Did, I don't it know who offered him that contract. New York, New York offered him the New contract. York. No, no, no. Dallas did. New York, New York they traded for him in his uh, his, but he was post ACL. They gave him that contract. Uh, yeah, but I think I think the Sixers. Well, the difference with the Sixers is they've always had Simmons and Embiid, and it was finding a third player, um, which I think is a little bit easier. For Dallas, getting a level two or the second player talent is it's hard when you're committing money to like freaking Dwight Powell got a contract with them. He's nothing. Like they signed Finney Smith. Finney Smith showed a lot of promise last offseason, but immediately gets a deal. Like they paid him Hardaway so is on a twenty million dollar deal. Yeah, they, they, you know, Kleba got a new deal, right? This offseason. Yeah, he did. Like he just got these, one like two days all ago. All these guys are good, but you're immediately shelling out money and you, it limits your moves um, and the assets you have. By the way, did I miss that Tyler Hero signed a four year, $130 million yeah, it, deal? It, yeah, it happened, what, a couple days ago, a week ago? That's going to be a disaster right or is that a good deal? it is a disaster the only reason i think it didn't get reported on as much is because the heat do this all the time and somehow it doesn't matter they've offered the worst contracts in the last 10 years out of any team and somehow it never matters so uh, but they're, they're, they're paying, another team what are they another team. duncan robinson and tyler hero think about how much combined salary is going to those two players at least the total contract value is 220 million between those two yeah, so don't put the Heat in that. Like the Heat aren't going anywhere. I mean, they were the one seed and were in Game Seven at home. But and they were falling apart them. as we were watching them. Like, are you they telling had a, me? Listen, they had a game-winning shot from Jimmy Butler to to send Boston home. I don't like so, Miami this year either. But maybe yeah. I think I'm underrating the the Heat culture. Okay, so let me flip it back on you. What what are your teams? If you had to pick that. Would not surprise so me. if I was truly going with like they're not going to surprise me, I would pick the same three in the e- West. I wouldn't add anyone. Definitely not the fucking Lakers. And then in the East, I think pure not surprise. I would pick Boston, Milwaukee. That's it. Because with Philly, as much as I think that they're going to be the one seed and they're going to be awesome, for them to win the championship would mean James Harden would have to do something he's never done in his 14-year career. And that's not choke in the playoffs. And Joel Embiid would have to do something he's never done in his seven-year, eight-year career, which is not get hurt in the playoffs. Like, Joel Embiid, as much as we talk about him, he still has never made round three. 
if they honestly win the championship with Doc Rivers, who's notorious for for falling apart in the playoffs, like all of these forces, that would be pretty damn surprising. They just have so much depth this year, and they have such a well-rounded roster. And, I mean, Milwaukee, they choked for a couple years, and the thing was like, okay, until you see it, you're not going to believe it. Then it happened. Same thing could happen with the Sixers. And B sheds the narrative. Harden, Harden, I don't think, is going to be amazing, but he just has to be solid for them to, to contend. So I, it's not that crazy to me. I think the the Doc Rivers part, like he is probably the the common denominator. When you think about all those talented teams he had, yeah, and the fact that so many of them have flamed out, I think he is definitely probably the shakiest part of that whole operation. But I think Simmons said it with Lowe today. Is like, has anyone coached this level of talent over the last yeah. ten years? Every team he's given is absolutely loaded to the brim, and all he does is underachieve. At what so, point does that matter when you're making your predictions? Um, and then, you know, Brooklyn, I don't trust for the reasons we already spoke about. Uh, but, you know, I will say in the West, the one team that would certainly surprise me, but I think is just warrants discussion is I think the Pelicans. Uh, they're not a championship team. They don't play good enough defense. But you talk about being loaded. You talk about a ton of offensive talent. Like, I can't wait to see them with Zion playing off of CJ, playing off of Ingram. It's going to be really special. That team's definitely going to be very fun. And um, have you seen him, by the way, the before and after? Oh, yeah. All the pictures. And then even the clips from that first game. He looked explosive. He looks lean. He looks yeah, happy. He's it's Dude. crazy. He's got his contract. Like, all the things people were saying a year ago are just gone. Like, they don't even exist. So... It's going to be fun to watch. And, you know, the team that no one's talking about is Memphis, a team that finished. By the way, two seed. Two seed last year, and no one really is giving them the same credit. Obviously, they overachieved, but it's just interesting that they're like one of the top seeds from last year that no one's talking about, along with Miami. And they were 1-1 against the Warriors before Ja went down. And very well could have been up 2-0. Yeah. So... It is weird because I myself have discounted Memphis. I don't know if it's the Triple J injury. I don't know if it's the fact that, like you said, I think they overachieved. Or because maybe they're just boring in that they didn't do anything this summer, moves-wise. Yeah. And we gravitate toward the changes. So, yeah, I mean, so we're on the same list. I'm just saying, okay, so you're telling me right now if the Lakers win, it'd be the most surprising thing ever. So if LeBron wins another title, he's the GOAT, right? And undisputed Le- in your mind. If LeBron wins another title the same year he passes Kareem for the scoring title, the same year he passes Magic on the all-time assist lead, he is the GOAT. Okay. Just going to jot that down. Of non-Jordan players. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would probably move him definitively to number one if he wins in year freaking 20 with this level of depth in the league. Unless there's massive array of injuries. Oh, yeah, yeah. Picks. Here comes the asterisks and this. Yeah, everything. <laughs> I mean, I, if Kawhi and Zion and Steph and all these dudes, Luca, go down and the path is just cleared, then yeah, obviously. Yeah. We'll, uh, but, we'll see. On, on, a, on one side note, one piece of news came out today, obviously, is the Draymond pool altercation. Yes, yes. Um, and then Chris Haynes, who's Draymond's mouthpiece, reported that pool That's such has a been... Joke. 
getting a little bit of a big head. Uh, and I'm just happy to see this because I want dysfunction. I want the Warriors to implode. I just need no, this, this to is, end, man. This is why it's so infuriating that they won. They're completely Teflon. Yeah. All this shit, it's, yeah, it's like you can make fun of them, whatever. They got four freaking rings and they got one post KD. Exactly. So nothing you say to them, nothing you do to them, nothing they do matters at all. They could go 20 and 62 this year for all it matters. And they already, they're, they're, they're bulletproof. That right. is why last year was so frustrating. And so even though I think Draymond's going to raise hell this year because he wants his new contract and I don't think they're going to give it to him, he's going to be a troublemaker. I think it's going to be problematic in the locker room. It won't matter, which is yep. which sucks for haters worldwide. I agree. I agree. Um, all right. That's a wrap. We are back, like we said. This is training camp for us, working out the kinks. Uh, you know, getting back into the swing of things after almost a three month hiatus. Um, uh, but we will be back on our regular scheduled, uh, you know, output here. So next week, what do we got? So next week, we're going to do over unders in the West and the East two parter, uh, for everyone to listen to. And then the week after we'll do awards and season predictions, which is going to coincide with the start of the regular season. Yeah. It's not uh... we're here, man. I'm I'm hyped. This is the best time of the year. Football is going. NBA's back. No more baseball gets out of the way. We don't have to hear about that again. What do you mean? The playoffs are about to start like literally this week. In like three weeks, it'll be done. I can I don't have to worry about, you know, just I was gonna say the NBA season can't come soon enough for you with the Bucks imploding and Brady's marriage falling apart. <laughs> imploding, please. We had the hardest schedule in the NFL. We're two and two. Don't give me this. Yeah, you lost your two hard games. Brady's home life is imploding, which is the most worrisome thing. But outside of that, you know, this could be good for him. This actually could be what he needs to really turn it up for one more year. Or, I mean, I don't know, man. It's it's a cloud hanging over your head, right? I think it'll be good for him a year from now. This year, we'll see. Out of curiosity, for reasons I won't say, what's your confidence level in them not losing a third straight home game this week to the Falcons? Oh, oh, they're going to win. They're going to win. Brady's never lost three games in his career. Uh, Is three that in a true? Row. Oh, sorry, since 2002. Basically, yeah. Wow. That's um, crazy. And he cares about stuff like that. The team is fully healthy. All the receivers are healthy. There's no excuses. This The defense is pissed off. This uh, has Cordell all the Pat- making. Cordell of- Patterson is not playing. This has all the makings of like a 48 to 21 beatdown where Brady gets to really pad his stats so that season's end, people can ask why he's not uh, first team all pro with such a high QBR um, while ignoring what he did against Green Bay and other good defenses. Oh, you mean what Green Bay does year after year, padding stats against uh, the Lions and the Bears and all these shit teams? Yeah, sure. Lions are good, dude. They hung 45 on the Seahawks last and week. They- they Ignoring gave him 48. They gave him, yeah, well, you don't need to mention that part. Uh, anyway, yeah. All right, that's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, please check us out on social media, wherever you get your podcasts. And here we go. Season four and season 76 for the NBA. So we're off and running. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>